Well, it's so good to see you all this morning. Um, rain or shine, it is good to worship the Lord who is the giver of sunshine and rain that makes our earth grow. So we are grateful to God for that. So today, if you've been gone a few weeks or if you're new, we are in week seven of a series titled Communicating the Gospel as an Act of Love. And there's this beautiful insert um, in your bulletin that gives just a summary of the trifold way that we are called to witness, being the witness, doing the witness, saying the witness. So I hope you keep that as a reminder um, for weeks and months, years to come. So last week, Brandon moved us into the third component, which is saying the witness. As the Apostle Paul wrote, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an account of the hope that is in you. But I wonder if you, like me, have ever asked, just really practically, how do I do that? Especially, how do I share the hope that I have in Jesus Christ with those who are very different from me? Maybe you've asked, how do I share the good news of Christ's kingdom with my grandkids, whose life experiences seem so different from my own? Or how do I talk with my coworkers or my neighbors or my friends who come from other faith traditions or perhaps who are atheists or agnostic? I have this amazing hope in Christ that I want to share, but how do I communicate the gospel to those who are very different from me. Well, if you've ever wondered this, you are not alone, and I have good news. We have lots of examples of Christians doing this really well by the power of Christ's Spirit in them. And one of our earliest and greatest examples is that of the Apostle Paul. Paul has been labeled as one of the greatest evangelists because he was one of the first evangelists um, to go widespread. He took the good news to three different continents. He talked with people of all kinds of backgrounds and beliefs. And the letters of Paul, they make up one-fourth of the New Testament. They continue to evangelize today. So if we want to learn how to communicate the gospel as an act of love, especially to those who are different, Paul is a really good model to follow. So this morning, we're going to hear about Paul's approach to evangelism from 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. But before we read, let us pray. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, may your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit our only teacher, and the glory of Christ our single concern. Amen. Here now, the Apostle Paul's words, inspired by the Spirit of Christ living within him. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, 
though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by any means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. I have become all things to all people, so that I might by any means save some. This is Paul's strategy, becoming all things to all people. Now, at first glance, it seems perhaps, like I thought, that it seems like uh, Paul has a bit of a Messiah complex when you hear those words, right? You know what I mean? When we use that phrase today, Messiah complex, we think that this person has an overinflated ego, an ego that makes him think he has no limitations, that he can do everything for everybody. But that's, that's not what Paul means here by this phrase. I want to suggest that more, this morning that Paul does have a Messiah complex, but it's very different than what we might think. You see, Paul is following the model of his Messiah, Jesus, but the model of Jesus is not one of an overinflated ego, but rather the exact opposite. It's one of utmost humility. It's one of complete self-emptying love for the sake of others. For remember what we hear Jesus did in the scriptures, we are told, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The Lord Jesus, the way he communicated to us was not by standing at a distance in the heavenly realms, but rather coming to us, becoming one of us, so that he may raise us up to new life with him. He became like us so that he might raise us up to be with him. This is the model Paul followed too. One of complete, humble, self-emptying love. That's what he means when he says, I became all things to all people. This is the model that we are called to follow, too. So now to give us a really uh, tangible, vivid analogy in the summertime, I want you to think of a lifeguard. Has anyone been to the pool yet? Yes, a couple people. I would not suggest going today. I, um, for the sake of your well-being, stay away from the pool today. But you may not know that for, uh, for many summers, I worked as a lifeguard. That's not a picture of me. But um, I worked as a lifeguard during high school in summer. In fact, that's the place that uh, Brandon and I first worked together. Ooh. Yeah, right? Um, a little place called uh, Kokomo Beach that's pretty much the, the identical copycat of Tropicanoe Cove. That's where we kind of started hanging out as lifeguards. And uh, believe it or not, those summers taught me a lot about evangelism according to the model of Jesus and Paul. Because if you think about a lifeguard, think about the ways that they save someone. If you haven't experienced it in person, you've probably seen it on the movies or you can imagine. 
When a person is drowning in the water, a lifeguard doesn't stand at the edge of the pool deck and yell at the person to swim harder. That would be ridiculous, right? Not helpful. No, for a lifeguard to be effective, she needs to get in the water. She needs to get into the swimmer's context to be of help. The lifeguard needs to leave the comfort of her nice, dry pool deck and get in the water. Not so that she can start drowning with the person who's drowning, but in order to bring the swimmer up to safety. Friends, that is the analogy of what Jesus did. He came to us, to our context, in order to raise us up to him. You might call Jesus the ultimate lifeguard. Jesus came to us so that we might come to him. And that is what Paul means when he said, I became all things to all people so that I might by any means save some. So we're going to keep with this lifeguard analogy this morning so that by the end of the day, you really want to go swimming. But again, not in a thunderstorm. That's my first lifeguard tip. Not in a thunderstorm. So keeping with this analogy, I'm going to take you through a little lifeguard training. Does that sound okay? I'm, I'm not going to make you get in your swimsuit, so don't worry. You're safe. Oh, Brandon's already got his, so we're ready. Um, it actually goes with the shipwrecked theme. There you go. Hey, shipwrecked. When you're shipwrecked, you need some lifeguards, so we're going to do a little pre-VBS lifeguard training. So we're going to go through a few ways that we, like Paul and like lifeguards, might by any means save some. So the first way, the most basic way, is teaching others who don't know how to swim to swim. Or in evangelism, it is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those who have never yet heard it. For those who you have been lifeguards or you have kids, some of you may not know this, but a lifeguard's job starts hours before the pool opens. For hours before the pool opens, they are teaching swim lessons. It's their first job. When it's cold and chilly and you just want to be standing on the pool deck in your sweatshirt, you're in the water teaching people how to swim. That is the best way to prevent someone from drowning is teaching them how to swim in the first place. So how do you teach someone to swim? Okay, first again, you get in the water. Even when you don't want to, even when it's freezing cold and cloudy, you get in the water. You enter their context. You can't just stand on the pool deck and tell a four-year-old what to do. You have to get in, hold them, demonstrate, encourage them in their fears, speak in ways they can understand, and show up day after day after day, usually year after year, because you don't go from hanging on to the side of the pool to doing the breaststroke overnight, right? These are all things that we have to do also in our approach to evangelism. To those who have never heard the story of the gospel before, we can't just stand comfortably aloof just saying terms to them, saying terms and concepts that they may not understand. Especially today, we're entering a post-Christian culture where certain terms that we use in Christian circles just don't carry meaning to them. Like a four-year-old might not understand what we mean when we say, 
Now you just need to flutter kick or do the uh, strokes. I'm not a, actually a very good swimmer, but <laughs> oh, we're going to get to that later. <laughs> oh, it's coming. It's coming. I actually did teach kids to swim. Um, so uh, we'll get there. So if you don't think you're comfortable sharing the gospel, just keep in mind when I'm telling you all this, I'm not a great swimmer and I did it. So we have to speak in terms that other people understand. Even terms like, like sin, gospel, God, in general, prayer, these terms may be terms that other people in a post-Christian culture don't know or are thinking in complete different terms than we are. So we have to immerse ourselves first in their setting. What do they know? What phrases do we need to explain? What fears do they have? What do they need demonstrated? Where do we need to hold them? Where do we need to let them go? This is how we communicate the gospel and love. We don't stand at a distance just shouting orders, but we have to be with them, stay with them, to face their doubts and fears and triumphs and failures with them. And I think a lot of us get really intimidated to share the gospel because we think that the first step in evangelism is to have a perfectly crafted monologue. That if we just tell a person this perfect 10-minute spiel, then bam, that person is going to change immediately their entire worldview, all their words, all their actions. It's just going to like flip around and they're going to be super Christian on the spot. And Christ does change hearts on the spot. There's no, no doubt about that. But real, continual life change takes time. And we've learned that evangelism usually takes time. It takes showing up day after day with them, week after week, going slowly, having them trust you, being with them in their fears and doubts, because you don't learn to swim overnight. Just think about Jesus. He was with his disciples for three years. Jesus himself with his disciples for three years, day in and day out, everything they did together. And still, they missed it in a lot of areas, right? It takes time. Change takes time. So be gentle with yourself. Don't expect immediate changes. And don't give up when you don't see immediate changes. Takes time. So the first step is to humbly immerse yourself in the other's context. Get to know them. Love them. Then you'll be able to understand how to communicate with them in terms and concepts that they understand and that are meaningful to them. When you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus was brilliant at this. He was regularly coming up with these parables and sayings that would relate exactly to the particular people he was speaking to. That's why a lot of them are really confusing to us today, because we're in a different cultural context. But for them, in their cultural moment, these things would have clicked. They would have gotten it right away. Some of them were, still are confusing. But he was speaking to a certain cultural moment in ways that they would best understand. Paul did the same. Did you hear in our text? To the Jews, he became as a Jew. He talked with Jews according to what they already knew and respected, the Torah and the law. To Gentiles, Paul became as a Gentile. He talked about Jesus starting with what they already knew and respected, which was Greek philosophy. Did you know that Paul was also trained by Philo, a Greek philosopher? 
He was brilliant in Greek philosophy as well as Judaism. So he has all this, uh, all this understanding to be able to reach people where they are. So this is the kind of approach we're called to take too, to communicate to people where they are. So I'm going to give you a couple examples. The first is one that you all are going to be, uh, many of you are going to be immersed in right away tomorrow, VBS. So if you want a, a quick summary of how to communicate the gospel in a certain context, try to tell the gospel to a three-year-old, right? Yeah, you've got to rethink how you're doing this. You have to enter their world. If you try to stay in your world, you're going to miss them. You've got to get on the ground, right? You've got to do things that connect with them, like playing and singing. Even if you're a horrible singer, they like to sing. You've got to sing with them. You have to use words they understand. This week, I do not suggest premillennial dispensationalism. Don't try it. Three-year-olds are not going to get it. We understand this kind of stuff, right? It sounds really simple, but it actually takes a lot of effort. Connecting with a three-year-old takes a lot of humility and dying to self and intentional care and learning from that three-year-old to know how to connect with them. Sharing the gospel with a three-year-old takes following the footsteps of Jesus. Now, many of you are really good at this. You are total naturals at connecting with and contextualizing the gospel for children. So now, just transfer that approach to adults. Because this is the same approach that the Apostle Paul took. Hear what he wrote to the church in Thessalonica about his ministry. Oh, this was the picture of getting in the water with a little kid to teach him how to swim. So this is the approach that the Apostle Paul took. He said... But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children. Folks, this is how Paul and his companions evangelized. Like a gentle mother, like a tender father, caring for their children. Sharing not just words, but their entire lives. So think about a child you love deeply. Your own, a grandchild, someone you know. Now think about a person you want to share the gospel with. Can you take the same love and gentleness and care that you give to that child to the person you want to tell, the adult you want to tell about the gospel? That's the way that Paul did it. That's the way that Jesus did it. One of humility and love. So we're going to get a really concrete example to, to show how this might work. Because a lot of you have asked these questions, and... Um, I know a lot of you are wondering. So say you have a, a coworker who's Muslim or, or Hindu or Buddhist. You want to talk with them about Jesus. Where do you start? Well, a place that's not going to be helpful is by simply telling them 
you're wrong, just follow Jesus. Friends, that's kind of like standing at the edge of the pool with someone who's in distress or drowning and just yelling at them to swim harder. It's not helpful. Comes across as really condescending. That person's just going to tense up and they're not going to trust you because to this person, their faith background could be all that they've ever known, like it is for many of you for whom Christianity is all you've ever known. That faith background is their history, their family, their very identity. So to just come out and just point at them and say you're wrong It's like saying their whole personhood is wrong. It's very condescending, and it can be very hurtful. So be gentle, be caring. Approach another person with humility and love. So this this lifeguard analogy, get down into their waters, into their context first. Not so that you yourself become a Muslim or a Buddhist, that's not the goal, but rather to truly understand them. What's important to them? What fears and doubts do they have? What do they already know that might connect with the Christian faith? It's only then, when you've, when you've really entered their context, really loved them and understood them, that they're going to trust you enough to hear what you have to say about Jesus. So think about the ministry of Jesus. He was doing this all the time. He interacted with Samaritans, those who were so different from Jews. Jesus regularly hung out with those who were labeled as drunkards and gluttons, so much so that he was being accused of being a drunkard and a glutton himself. Jesus hung out with these folks in their context, where they were, and communicated in ways that they would understand. Jesus didn't become exactly like them, right? He didn't become a Samaritan. He didn't become a drunkard or a glutton. He was like us in all ways except for our sin. But he did go to them in their context and develop loving relationships with them, not just standing at a distance telling them what to do. That's what we're called to do, too. That's what Spirit's, Christ's spirit within us will give us wisdom to do. So thus far, we've talked about sharing the gospel with those who haven't yet heard the rich story of salvation through Jesus Christ. We've made the analogy of teaching someone to swim for the first time and how it's important to first enter their context to know how to best communicate with them so that we can love them and communicate with gentleness. So now we're going to make the shift to considering how we share the gospel with those who already know the Christian story but are choosing, for whatever reason, not to live into it. These might be people who were raised in the church but have since walked away, or those who have heard the Christian story in some form but, for whatever reason, just don't want anything to do with it. This is probably the most important question for us since this is the reality for most of our non-Christian acquaintances. If you think of most people you know, we live in an area where the Christian story is pretty prevalent. A lot of people have heard it, but usually there's something keeping them from participating in that story. Now there are a lot of parallels with teaching someone to swim for the first time, so I want you to keep all of those things in mind, but now think of a visual of someone who is actively drowning. Okay, think of this visual of someone who's like in the water, flailing their arms, asking for help, or someone who's already at the bottom of the pool, which is a really scary thing. 
This we're going to imagine is our person who knows how to swim, but for some reason they are struggling now or they are actively drowning. This is someone who knows a Christian story, but for whatever reason they are struggling or they are drowning. So the first step again is to get in the water. Don't stand at a distance and yell at them to swim harder. Doesn't work. Get in the water, enter their context. And this is important because I can tell you from experience that from a distance, you don't really know what's hanging them up. They might be struggling, but from a distance, you have no idea how to help until you get in the water. When you get in the water, I learned sometimes they have their foot or swimsuit caught on something at the bottom of the pool. Sometimes it could be that they got injured. They have a major cramp in their leg and they're struggling to swim. It could be that someone's holding them down under the water intentionally or unintentionally. That happens a lot with kids who think they're playing and actually hurting each other. You don't know exactly what help they need until you're in the water with them. So when you enter the context of another person with whom you want to share the gospel, these are some things you also might find. You might hear their story and find out that they've gotten stuck. They've gotten stuck on a question about faith that they can't untangle themselves. Your job as an evangelist, help them untangle that question or point them to someone who can. Maybe you get in their context, you find that they have been hurt by someone in the church. These injuries by fellow Christians can be absolutely paralyzing. So what that person needs is not a swim lesson, but tender help and healing and trust. So we are called to help bandage their wounds. Maybe a person feels like they are being drowned in an abusive relationship or an unhealthy set of friends, and they feel like they are being held underwater by these other people. Your job is simply help them break free or get the strength to break free so they can swim again. Do you see the analogies? These things you don't really know until you get in the water. First, you've got to enter their context to see what they need. Those are the two sections we're going to hit. Teaching people to swim and then those who know the Christian story but aren't living into it. But now I'm going to take a few minutes here because it's really important to say a word about young adults. As you know, there's a lot of talk about millennials and younger, younger Christians leaving the church, sometimes leaving the Christian faith altogether. We all know this, right? Many of you probably have kids or grandkids who fall into this camp, and we love them. We care about them. We want the best for them, don't we? So I want to use this analogy of swimming in a pool to point out what I believe is happening with some of our younger people. And I've observed this both from studies on young adults in the church, and there are plenty if you want to read any of them. There's tons of research out there. And from our personal interactions with young adults over the last decade, and even my own life experiences. So this is the observation. A lot of young adults want to learn how to swim in the deep end of the pool. That is, our younger people want to engage deeper questions of faith. They want to engage in real 
hard questions, like the relationship between faith and science, the validity of other religions, worldwide suffering, mental health problems, politics, the historicity of the Bible, so much more. Young adults want to know how to swim in these deeper waters with a solid Christian faith, but sadly they feel like they're in the deep end alone. And they feel like they're alone because it's hard to find other Christians who will safely, gently, honestly converse about these matters with them. And this is what I see happening. These young adults are either, one, drowning, or two, they're choosing to leave the pool all together. Let me explain. Most young adults, uh, young adults today are simply thrown into the deep end of the pool, whether they like it or not. So here's the reality. Younger people have access to so much information, way more than older generations ever had. One study about five years ago said that young adults take in 300 times more information on a daily basis than any previous generations ever did. 300 times more. That's probably even higher today. Our younger people are growing up with tons of knowledge of other religions, worldviews, global politics, and on and on and on. Millennials, they are the most educated generation that's ever lived. This isn't bad. This can be a very, very good thing. It's just that it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming to younger Christians if they don't have others, particularly older, wiser Christians, who are willing to help them navigate in all this information, who are willing to swim in the deep waters with them. It's overwhelming when they don't have a Christian community that is willing to have respectful, honest, gentle conversations about tough, deep questions. And by conversation, I mean real conversation, not in when one in which one is standing on the pool deck, waving a finger, just telling them what to do, but rather one in which they are in the waters together. Do you get what I mean? When young adults, or anyone for that matter, don't have a safe community for discussing deeper topics and can be overwhelming to the point of drowning. Too often, we have heard the reaction from other Christians. It's, um, this is just across Across the country, we've heard these stories again and again. A knee-jerk reaction from Christians who love and care and want to help these young adults is they see them struggling and they say, just get back here to the shallow end. Get back here where it's safe. Get back here where you don't have to struggle so much. Just get back here to where it's comfortable. They're trying to help, but they just say, ignore the deep end. Just stay away from there. But you want to know what that's to be forced to just stay in the shallow in their whole life? Complete boredom. Have you met a teenager or anyone who wants to swim? It's like, feels like you're in handcuffs, like, get me out of here, I want to swim. And not only does it feel like boredom, it sends the message that the Christian faith actually isn't strong enough for the deep end. 
It sends a message that the Christian faith is irrelevant to real-life issues that they are already swimming in. So as a result, if they're told to just stay in the shallow end, a lot of young adults are saying, all right, I'm out of here. You're not going to let me go there, or no one's going to teach me how to go there. I'm just leaving. I'm done. (laughs) Now here's the really beautiful thing, friends. If we are willing to meet our young adults where they are, in their deeper questions, I think we're all going to become better swimmers. I think we're all going to experience a deeper, a, a deeper, richer faith in God. We're going to experience a deeper, richer faith in God. So it's a double win. It's a double win meeting our young adults where they are. Now we're going to wrap it up with um, two final encouragements, and I promise this is the very end. So the first encouragement is this. You don't have to do it all by yourself. I was always a lifeguard on a team, never by myself. Whenever I went into the water to save somebody, I'd blow my whistle and another lifeguard would automatically come. That's just the way it happened. Sometimes... Oftentimes, there was a person that was way more than I can handle. No joke, there was a night where this guy went in who was probably around 500 pounds, couldn't swim, at the bottom of a 10-foot pool where I was stationed, and it was like 60 degrees. I had all my sweats on because it was freezing, and he went in in my section, and I had to go get him. (laughs) You think I did it by myself? (laughs) Right, have you seen me? (laughs) Not going to work. I went in because he was there, and I was the first one to go. I went in, but like four or five other lifeguards came, and together we got him up. I could not have done it alone. The same is true for evangelism. We don't do this on our own. If someone has a question or a fear or a hurt you don't think you can handle yourself, get other help. We do this as a team. And then here's the final encouragement, and I alluded to it earlier. You don't have to be great at it. The little secret is that I'm not a great swimmer. I was never on the swim team, never took swim lessons past the age of five. I was always intimidated by folks like Brandon and all the other lifeguards who were super buff and super fast swimmers, and I was not that. I was just average. And, and here's the other secret. I have a really serious fear of drowning. Like, no joke. Ironic, huh? I would have nightmares as a kid of someone holding me under the water. Like, serious fear. Keep these things in mind. Still, I was an effective lifeguard. I taught a lot of people to swim. I saved a good number of people who were actively drowning. And you can, too, in the realm of evangelism. This is why. One, I knew the basics. I could swim. I wasn't super great at it, but I knew the basics. And folks, you do too. You know the basics of Christianity. You have the Bible. You have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You are far more equipped than you think. Second, I worked on a team. And you do too. You are part of God's family, the church. You're not in this alone. You're not, 
Others aren't going to let you drown there at the bottom with them. Others are going to come in and help you. You're not alone. Third, final and most important, I was affected because I was willing to get in the water. The question is, are you? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word that guides us, encourages us, corrects us, and most of all points us to you who has saved us all from the deep pits. So move in us and through us to be witnesses of love to all those you place in our path. Encourage us in our fears and our doubts and our questions so that we might be able to do the same with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.